Welcome to the Trucking Market Update on the State of Freight Podcast, brought to you by FTR, where we share timely transportation intelligence with you on a weekly basis. The Trucking Market Update is hosted by FTR's Vice President of Trucking, Avery Weiss. As Avery presents the information in the podcast, you can follow along and review the graphs and indicators by downloading the PDF or PowerPoint of the presentation from our podcast landing page. A link to the PDF and PowerPoint is available now at www.ftrintel.com podcast. From there, you can also find past episodes and downloads for the Trucking Market Update, as well as the weekly rail market update with Todd Tronowski and much more. That link again is www.ftrintel.com podcast. Welcome to FTR's weekly trucking market update. I'm Avery Weiss, Vice President of Trucking. This is episode 201 for the week of February 20th, 2023. Before we start, a reminder that you can download a PDF with the graphics related to this discussion at www.ftrintel.com podcast. Before we launch into the data, I wanted to mention one regulatory development uh, that occurred last week. Now, our focus in this podcast is on the trucking market. We don't typically delve into safety and compliance issues, as there are definitely more qualified people to do that. However, it is worth mentioning that the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration has decided to move forward with its long-overdue revamp of what is known as the Safety Measurement System, or SMS, and that is the bedrock of the Compliance, Safety, and Accountability Program, or CSA. Now, we don't have time to go into detail, but there are a couple of things I want to highlight. First, although FMCSA does not say it this way and and might not totally agree with the characterization, several changes do have the effect of reducing a bias against carriers that do not get many inspections or violations, and that logically tends to be very small carriers. Now, the upshot is that under the proposed revamp, small carriers likely would be selected less often for intervention, leaving FMCSA and state law enforcement agencies to focus more on larger carriers that account for more crashes. Now, again, FMCSA does not put it in terms of large versus small carriers. They put it in terms of focusing resources on greater payback and crash prevention. But the reality is that by reducing variability and distortions in SMS, inherently benefits those operations with the fewest data points to consider. It's called the law of small numbers. Now, the other big news in the SMS proposal is something FMCSA decided not to do, and that is adopt a highly complex statistical model based on something called item response theory, or IRT. That was something that was recommended uh, nearly six years ago in a report from the National Academy of Sciences. Uh, That was a report that was ordered by Congress uh, to recommend changes to SMS. Now, to be honest, I would be lying if I said I really understood IRT, but I think I do understand the gist of it. And the best way to think about IRT is that it's essentially highly sophisticated data mining that basically selects carriers for intervention based on a combination of attributes, violations, or behaviors that might actually be quite obscure and might not be obvious to anyone, but which are attributes, violations, and behaviors that the model has determined are associated with high crash risk. 
So put more simply, the goal is to identify carriers that might not be considered unsafe today uh, when you're looking at the data, but are destined to have crashes according to the model. Now, it reminds me of the film Majority Report, if you remember that Steven Spielberg film from, I guess, about 20 years ago at this point. Um, it sort of works that way, I think, <clears throat> except that instead of using computers to uh, identify future crimes, um, the uh, in the movie, they had used three bald people floating in a pool of liquid. So not sure which one's better, but um, neither one's going to be used at this point, it appears. Now, one of the premises behind adopting IRT, according to the National uh, Academy of Sciences, was that there are not enough inspections conducted to allow SMS to work effectively. And that was especially the case, of course, for small carriers. FMCSA did build an IRT model, but it concluded that it was overly complex, uh, it was hard to understand and interpret, and impossible for a carrier to calculate for itself, which of course meant that carriers would not be able to understand what they needed to do in order to avoid intervention. <clears throat> in discussing IRT in the Federal Register notice, the agency explicitly stated that the model was heavily biased against small carriers that had few inspections and, uh, with violations and limited on-road exposure to crash risk. <clears throat> By the way, Another reason FMCSA rejected IRT is that it takes four weeks to run the model. Uh, SMS only takes two days. So in addition to the changes FMCSA did make that have the effect of removing some of the distortions that bias small operations, the most notable single decision the agency made was to avoid adopting a change that would have biased uh, or would have been biased against small carriers. Now, I don't want to oversell all this. Uh, the number of carriers that get put out of service uh, for safety reasons is fairly small. Market conditions clearly are a far greater factor in the survival, survival of small carriers. The change also is not imminent as the comment period runs through mid-May. But this is a significant development that to some degree supports small carriers. Okay, let's get into the data We'll start with diesel prices, uh, which fell for the third straight week. The national average price was down 6.8 cents to $4.37.6 cents a gallon during the week ended February 20th. Prices have fallen nearly 25 cents in February after rising about 10 cents over the final two weeks of January. Prices have now fallen in 13 of the past 17 weeks for a total decline of 96 cents. And since hitting a record back in June, the national average price has fallen by more than $1.43 a gallon. Prices fell in all regions. The average price now is under $5 a gallon in every region except for California. And in fact, the average price in the Gulf Coast is $4.10 a gallon. So that means that within the next week or two, diesel in that region easily could fall below $4 a gallon. We are approaching very quickly the anniversary of the historic surge in diesel prices that occurred during the first couple of weeks of March last year following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. As of the latest week, diesel prices nationwide are about 32 cents a gallon higher than they were a year ago. That comparison is about to swing sharply in the other direction. 
Meanwhile, distillate inventories are no longer an issue. Nationwide, they declined slightly in the latest week, but they're still running about where they were a year ago. On the other hand, distillate stocks um, on the East Coast, which had become an issue back in May and again in October, have actually increased quite significantly over the past few weeks. Okay, let's move on and talk about the spot market for truck freight during the week ended February 17th. That's week seven of the year. Broker posted dry van and refrigerated rates declined during the week, marking the sixth straight decrease in the past seven weeks for both segments. Over the past couple of weeks, dry van and refrigerated have posted notably weaker spot rates than their five-year averages. Dry van spot rates lagged the average for several weeks in November, but otherwise neither segment had seen rates significantly below average since early in the recovery from lockdowns back in the spring of 2020. Both segments also saw volumes in the latest week that are the weakest compared to the five-year average since the lockdown phase of the pandemic, but there is a little bit of an asterisk to that comment that I'll address shortly. But first, let's look more closely at rates. For the second straight week, the total broker-posted spot market rate barely budged, easing just three-tenths of a cent. Total rates continued to track at 19% below the same 2020 week, and they were more than 4% above the five-year average. FDR estimates that rates excluding a fuel surcharge were nearly 26% below the same week last year. Looking at rates by segment, drive-in rates were down nearly three cents. Uh, They were more than 30% below the same week last year and more than 7% below the uh, five-year average for the week. Uh, Refrigerated spot rates fell nearly six cents. Rates were almost 30% below the same week last year, as was the case with dry van, and nearly 7% below the same week or the five-year average for the week, which also is the case with dry van. Interesting how close those two are. And like dry van, uh, the comparison was the weakest uh, since June of 2020. Flatbed spot rates ticked up more than a cent. Rates are almost 15% below the same week last year, but they are still more than 9% above the five-year average for the week. Okay, let's address volume. Spot load activity declined 3.5% after holding flat during the prior week. Volume was 57% below the same week last year and about 26% below the five-year average. We discussed earlier that drive-in and refrigerated saw their largest deficit relative to the five-year average since June of 2020, but in volume, that gap is the largest since the lockdown period in April and May of 2020. However, there is a caveat that I signaled earlier. Very strong volume in 2021's week seven skews the five-year average for the week somewhat, but Uh, This is going to be an even bigger issue next week when we talk about the data because the true spike occurred during week eight of 2021 as a result of widespread uh, extreme cold weather back then. Okay, let's uh, touch on volume by segment. Uh, Dry van loads declined 4.5%. Volume was more than 59% below the same week last year and almost 30% below the five-year average. Refrigerated loads fell uh, nearly 12%. Volume was more than 61% below the same week last year and more than 36% below the five-year average. 
and flatbed loads declined about 2% for the first week-over-week decrease this year. Volume was nearly 60% below the same week last year, and more than 28% below the five-year average. Let's wrap up the weekly data with a quick look at mortgage rates. Following nearly three months of declines, or at least only marginal upticks, mortgage rates in the latest week rose by two-tenths of a point, which is the largest weekly increase since mid-October. The average rate on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage was 6.31%. Freddie Mac suggested that stronger-than-expected economic indicators were a factor in that, and uh, that will lead us into our most of the rest of our discussion. But first, since we're already talking about the housing market, let's stay there and talk about residential construction. A month-over-month decline in January from a downwardly revised December estimate resulted in a rate of housing starts that was the lowest since June of 2020. Starts fell 4.5% seasonally adjusted. Moreover, the revised December decline was a full two points larger than the initial estimate, although that drop was from an upwardly revised November figure. The 1.3 million annualized starts in January were 16.7% below the rate in February of 2020. Starts fell month over month, both for single-family homes and units in multifamily buildings with five or more units. Single-family starts in January were 19% below February of 2020, Multifamily starts were down 11% from that month. Permits authorized for future construction were stable in January, ticking up a tenth of a percent from an upwardly revised December estimate. Single-family permits declined uh, nearly 2% and were nearly 28% below February 2020 levels. Multifamily permits uh, ticked up five-tenths of a percent, or half a percent, and we're nearly 38% ahead of February 2020. So residential construction is still weak, but most other economic indicators for January have been pretty good after some rather weak figures coming out of November and December. We discussed the robust payroll job growth a, a few weeks ago, And we got data last week in both the industrial and consumer sectors that was quite strong. We'll start with the industrial sector. Industrial production was flat month over month on a seasonally adjusted basis, but it would have been much stronger absent a swing from an unseasonally cold December to an unseasonally warm January. Um, Why does weather matter? Well, that's because that dynamic resulted in a hit of just under 10% for utilities output. Now, the other two major sectors in industrial production, manufacturing and mining, both saw solid gains in January. Uh, Manufacturing output rose 1% after notable declines in both November and December. The gains were broad-based as durable manufacturing output rose uh, eight-tenths of a percent and non-durables output increased 1.1%. The half a percent rise in automotive output was not especially strong, but it was encouraging after drops of 3.7% and 1.7% in November and December, respectively. Like manufacturing, the 2% increase in mining output followed two straight months of notable declines. 
most mining sectors saw gains, with a notable exception being oil and, and gas drilling. Industrial production and manufacturing output in January both were 1.2% ahead of the pre-pandemic month of February 2020. Mining output is down half a percent. Okay, moving on to the consumer sector, and the numbers there were even better. After two straight months of 1.1% decreases, retail and food service sales in January jumped 3%, seasonally adjusted, to the highest level ever in current dollars. The increase is the sharpest since March of 2021, which was the month during which the third round of pandemic stimulus payments were dispersed. The January increase was the sixth largest on record. All other larger gains occurred during the pandemic, except for the 6.7% jump in October of 2001, which of course followed the September 11th terrorist attacks. Now, one theory for explaining the spending spurt is cost of living adjustments that kicked in during January for government benefits and for wages at many U.S. employers. Because many COLAs are linked to the Consumer Price Index, many Americans saw a notably larger increase in income than they typically see in January. If, indeed, COLAs prove to be the principal factor, then what we likely would see is that January's spike in retail sales could prove to be a one-time event because, after all, um, that change only happens once, and then after that it will be part of the baseline. Every retail sector saw at least a marginal increase month over month, with the exception of gasoline stations where sales were flat. Department stores saw the largest surge by far at a spike of 17.5% seasonally adjusted. The next largest increase was a 7.2% gain in food services and drinking places, followed by a 5.9% increase for motor vehicle uh, and parts dealers. Now, retail and food service uh, sales fell sharply on a not seasonally adjusted basis, as they always do during January, but the 16.2% month-over-month drop was actually the second smallest on record for a January. In fact, the only January that performed better was 2021 with a 15.5% decline, and that was, of course, following the second disbursement uh, or the disbursement of the second round of pandemic stim stimulus that occurred right at the very end of December 2020. By the way, the historical average for not seasonally adjusted declines in January is 21.5%. Now, given weak imports and uh, recent declines in manufacturing output, at least before January, uh, strong retail sales uh, in January probably meant a significant drawdown of uh, retail inventories in January. With weak sales in November and December, inventory data released this week showed an increase in inventories relative to sales in most retail categories during the month. Our last couple of sets of indicators are about price inflation. First, the Consumer Price Index. After two months of small gains that resembled the pre-pandemic uh, pre environment, consumer inflation accelerated month over month in January as energy prices rose and 
both food and shelter saw gains. The all items uh, CPI increased half a percent following a 0.2% uh, and a 0.1% gain in November and December. However, those months cooler pricing were driven largely by following, falling prices for gasoline and other energy products. The Bureau of Labor Statistics said that the shelter index was by far the largest contributor to the all items index gain, even though it saw a marginal deceleration in month-over-month growth at 0.7%, which was down from 0.8% in December. Consumer inflation in services in general uh, remains elevated, while inflation in commodities, aside from food and energy, have moderated. The 12-month change in the All Items Index um, edged down to 6.4% from 6.5% in December, the 12-month change for services ticked up to 7.6%, while the change in commodities, less food, and energy actually declined to 1.4%. If we exclude food and energy, the CPI held steady at 0.4% uh, at a 4.4% gain month over month. The 12-month change was 5.6%, uh, just a tick down from 5.7% in December. And finally, let's talk about the producer price index. Now, we tend to spend more time on this than we do the CPI because there are multiple issues of concern here. Now, one, of course, is the overall inflation situation at the producer level, but another is pricing for services and for goods that are related to freight transportation. So let's start with the broadest look. Pricing at the producer level in January saw its largest increase since June, driven mostly by gains in energy prices. The producer price index for final demand rose 0.7%, which is a swing from the minus 0.2% dip um, in December uh, due mostly to energy. The 12-month change moderated to 6% from 6.5% in December. The index for final demand lists goods, energy, and trade services rose 0.6%, which is the largest advance since March. The 12-month change was 4.5%, which is down slightly from 4.7% in December. Okay, let's look at uh, pricing indicators in freight transportation. The PPIs for most freight transportation sector declined, with the notable exception of LTL which rose a little over 2% after a 3.6% drop back in December. General freight truckload fell 3.3% and long-distance specialized eased 0.9%. The rail intermodal producer price index fell 2.4%, which essentially matches the decline that was seen in December. Freight brokerage uh, was down 4.8% and is been mostly a free fall for the back half of um, 2022 and, of course, into 2023. In the area of equipment, one notable development was a 1.4% drop in the trailer producer price index. That, that decrease of 1.4% matches July of, two, of 1989 for the largest month-over-month drop on record. However, 
We're not seeing that kind of relief in truck tires, where the PPI continues to rise, as it has done in all but two months uh, in nearly two years. Okay, let's wrap up the podcast by recapping some key takeaways. FMCSA proposed to revamp the safety measurement system. Diesel prices fell nearly $0.07 cents in the latest week. Spot rates continued to decline in the van segments. Mortgage rates rose for the second straight week. Housing starts declined for the fifth straight month. Manufacturing output rose after recent declines. Retail sales posted the largest gain uh, month over month since March of 2021. Shelter and energy led to a higher consumer price index month over month. Energy costs fueled a um, producer price increase, pr producer price index increase. Uh, the PPIs for freight transportation services mostly declined in January, and the trailer PPI saw its largest monthly drop on record. Next week, uh, we do not have quite as many economic indicators to look at as we did this week. We will look at sales of new and existing homes, orders for durable manufactured goods, and consumer spending and income for January. Plus, we'll review revenues for trucking and for parcel and local delivery in the fourth quarter. And as usual, we'll recap the week in diesel prices and the spot market for truck freight. That's it for FDR's Trucking Market Update, episode 2000, or <laughs> 201 uh, for the uh, week of February 20th, 2023. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we hope you will join us next Trucking Market Update on the State of Freight Podcast. You can find more publicly available State of Freight content and download the PDF and PowerPoint of today's presentation by going to www.ftrintel.com podcast. FTR is the leader in freight transportation forecasting in North America, providing consistently reliable reports for trucking, rail, and intermodal transportation, as well as providing demand analysis for commercial vehicle and rail car. For more information about the work of FTR, visit www.ftrintel.com or call us at 888-988-1699 to find out which publications will best support your business.